0: Good morning, One Family Church. It is good to be here today with you. As Pastor Brent said, he's out in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, at the church where I currently serve as the Connections and Young Adult Pastor. So maybe some of you are a little bit um, confused like, really, we're trading our lead pastor with a young female Connections Young Adult Pastor, but lo and behold, I'm here anyway. Um, If anything, it is a good chance for me to see St. Louis from a new perspective, and I brought my mom this time. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, The first time I was in St. Louis, the only time, really, was a couple years ago. I was here for a funeral, so I'm excited for a new perspective and for it to be less, you know, like, death-oriented this time. So speaking of a new perspective... This last season of life, these last few months, I've been reflecting and reading the past this passage from Isaiah, Isaiah 43, 19, nearly every day. And it says this: it says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. This verse has been coloring everything in my mind, it seems. It feels like God is calling my attention to something new, or to see something that I haven't considered or perceived yet. And so naturally, this, this thought made me think of a kaleidoscope, right? Like, who wouldn't think of that? Um, have any of you looked through one of these or played with one of these? I take pride in being a child that grew up in the 90s and early 2000s, where we would like play with these to pass time and it was maybe like cool. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't ever cool. Um, But anyway, so you look through, when you look through a kaleidoscope, you turn the knob and you see a different mosaic every time you turn the knob. You get a new angle on something maybe familiar. So you can focus it on a person or an object and you it kind of distorts that person. It maybe looks a little bit creepy, but here is an example of something that you might see. If you can see it, it's different mosaics, or if you focus on a person, you might get a weird, creepy image of that that person's body. But either way, you see something different. You get a new view when you look through a kaleidoscope. And so kaleidoscopes really drive home this idea for me that God is doing a new thing we just have to turn the knob on that kaleidoscope in order to get a new view. So today we're turning to the book of Jonah, a book maybe you've heard about, or maybe in your mind you uh, picture a really uh, cute image of Jonah sitting in the belly of a whale, like just another Tuesday. But this book actually has a ton of depth and variety. It's actually pretty funny too. And like a kaleidoscope, the book of Jonah begs the reader to view it from a different angle every time you engage it. And so that's what we're going to do today. So, for those of you that are familiar with the book of Jonah, you might remember that anytime God calls Jonah to do something, he seems to run the opposite direction, right? So, I believe, though. Um, what the author wants us to see in the book of Jonah is that Jonah's actions don't fully line up with what we are invited to see. I would propose that today we are invited to put ourselves in Jonah's shoes and to be transformed by his experiences, maybe even a little bit more so than Jonah is himself. So that's the progression we're going to take today. So when we keep turning our kaleidoscope We will get to see a new angle that Jonah wasn't able to see. But first, would you pray with me? God, as we are about to read your word, open our minds, our hearts, and our spirits to what you would have for us today. By the power of your Holy Spirit, fill us with understanding. Amen. Okay, and now would you turn with me to the book of Jonah It's sandwiched between Obadiah and Micah if you have a Bible. Um, And we're going to be reading from chapter 3, verse 11, to the end of the book. That's Jonah chapter 3, verse 11. Let's read. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and so much cattle? And that's how the book ends. I mean, what kind of book ends on a question, right? So let me backtrack for you a bit, if you're not familiar with the book of Jonah. Jonah is a story that throws its reader's world upside down. Simply by the book existing where it does within the Old Testament, it begs each reader to ask, what new thing might God be trying to convey? So here is a brief summary. So Jonah, upon receiving a call from God to arise and go to Nineveh, for its evil has rose before the face of God, goes the opposite direction to Tarshish. He goes farther and farther from God as the story goes on. And it ends up, uh, he ends up getting on a boat, and then there's a storm, and he's thrown overboard by pagan sailors. And then while in the water, he gets swallowed by a big fish, not a whale. And then the fish vomits him back up, and while he's on dry land, he receives a second call from God. And God says, arise, go to Nineveh and proclaim against it the message that I will give you. And so this is where Jonah is sort of an anti-prophet because he just kind of waltzes halfway into the city and he proclaims this message that is incredibly ambiguous. It's only about five words in the Hebrew. It goes something like this. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Okay? And so the results he sees though, are the biggest of any Old Testament prophet. The entire city from the greatest, the king, to the least, the cows, all put on sackcloth, they sit in ashes, they repent, and turn from their evil ways. And that's where our passage picks up. So Jonah is the most reluctant and resistant prophet in Old Testament history, but he sees the biggest results. It's a funny story too, like can you imagine Jonah returning home after his day's adventures and when he's late for dinner, he says, no mom, really, I I did get swallowed by a big fish. She just shakes her head. So Nineveh repented and was spared. And that angered Jonah when we're set up to believe that would be a cause for celebration. But this is when we see Jonah notice something about God. This is where we are invited now, too, to see God from a new angle. So remember how I talked about the book of Jonah being like a kaleidoscope? So Jonah has had this mosaic in his mind of God. And when God decided to spare Nineveh, a new mosaic clicked into his field of vision. Now, Nineveh wasn't just an innocent city living their best life just randomly selected to receive a prophecy. No, Nineveh was a city in Assyria, which was the people of God, the Israelites, one of their greatest and most brutal oppressors. So they truly were an evil nation whom God had threatened to enact his justice towards in Scripture. So when God spares Nineveh, Jonah says, I told you so for this is why I fled. I knew you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and ready to relent from punishment. These attributes were actually listed in the book of Moses, or of Exodus, when Moses pleads with God to spare the Israelites after they had constructed a golden calf and were worshiping that instead. So Jonah knew these attributes to be true of God, He just hadn't considered that they would also be true for other evil nations. And apparently that realization was disturbing enough to make him want to die. It was like moving from knowledge of God to actually believing and knowing God himself. He was confronted with a new reality and had to wrestle with that question of God with his entire being. Are there things in your own life that you know with your mind but haven't yet wrestled with in your heart? Like, do you take pride in attending church but don't actually have a relationship with God? Do you know that you can talk to God but haven't actually spent time praying and being with God? God? Jonah maybe was happy with a familiar belief system about God, and he felt comfortable with it. It answered all of the questions that he had. But when God spared Nineveh, this question rose to the surface. Does God really hold steadfast love and mercy towards my enemies? Or rather, can God's goodness really run after The places and extend beyond the boundaries that feel logical? These questions jolted Jonah from a belief system that felt pretty certain and safe. The kaleidoscope shifted and it opened up questions for Jonah that caused him to, that forced him to connect his head to his heart. And we're not actually sure he could make that connection because we don't get a clear ending to the story. But, when, but I think the writer of Jonah wants us as re- readers to realize that when we begin to see God from a new angle, we also begin to see ourselves differently too. I think as readers, we are set up to want Jonah to celebrate God as ultra-inclusive and who he um, extends love and mercy towards. But that's not Jonah's response And then God, as I imagine, maybe a loving parent might put your face in their hands. He says to him, Jonah, is it good? Is it right for you to be angry? The first time he asks that, Jonah doesn't answer. He just goes east of the city and he sets up a fort for himself and decides to watch to see if God decides to change his mind. God shades Jonah with a bush Jonah is happy about that, but then God decides to use a worm, of all things, to destroy the bush. And it's so hot that Jonah wanted to die again. I imagine Jonah's response was kind of like in a dramatic movie. He put his hand on his forehead and said, It's better for me to die than to live. But instead of that question that God asks, bringing up self-awareness and an invitation to his own transformation, Jonah seems to just be caught up in his version of how he thinks things should be. God saved Jonah from drowning in the storm. He saved him from being fish food. And then he saved him from getting a really bad sunburn. You would think that Jonah would see the common theme of God offering Jonah salvation even when Jonah ran and disobeyed God. Instead, we see evil purged from everybody in the story, except for Jonah, who's supposed to represent godliness. So what we miss in the text because of the English is the Hebrew word for evil, the word ra'ah, which is used throughout the story. So Nineveh's evil rose before God, God threatened evil upon the city. As a result, Nineveh repented of their evil, and God relented of the evil that he had planned to do to Nineveh. The author is using this word as a common thread. But we also see, as everyone else is rid of their evil, Jonah seems to absorb and sort of marinate in it. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, But this was very displeasing to Jonah. The word used for displeasing here literally means a great evil. So God sparing Nineveh was a great evil to Jonah. So evil that it's eating him alive and causing him to want to die. Have you ever been so angry it feels like it's just eating you up inside? Hear me name this. I truly have empathy for Jonah. I believe his anger is righteous and valid. God wasn't saying he shouldn't be angry. Salvation for the Ninevites could have very well meant further oppression and complete destruction for the people of God. So salvation for my oppressors no thank you. I would be angry too. But in this case, Jonah's anger became something that was destroying him from the inside. I love this quote by Juliette Liu about anger. It says this, like any gift, anger can become an idol used for evil. When it burns like a wildfire without direction, it can create vast damage. Jonah's anger was destroying him. I mean, he said he wanted to die several times. He pointed his finger at God for showing favor to Nineveh and then was fuming at the transformation of Nineveh when maybe God, in fact, was pointing out that it was Jonah that needed to see himself from a new angle. If he would have just kept turning that knob on the kaleidoscope, he might have been able to see himself and to do the internal work that God was calling him to. Jesus called the Pharisees out for neglecting to see the change required of themselves when he said in Matthew 23, 25, You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Maybe that was Jesus' way of asking God's question. Is it right for you to judge others when you are in need of transformation yourself? Oftentimes, we do the same thing. We point our fingers at the wrongs of others or are baffled that God could even be present in the lives of our enemies. I'll use an example of how I saw this played out in my community in real life. One word, twenty twenty. Many of us, at least in South Dakota, sure had our opinions about how things should go during the pandemic, and we were ready to cancel anyone who disagreed with us. And now if this wasn't you, I commend you. I think there are a lot of things that we could have handled differently as a collective whole. But what Jonah reminds me of now that I look back is that maybe instead of canceling people for their beliefs— we could have all considered what needed to change within ourselves and as a society to better engage with the people that we disagreed with. Instead of everyone else being wrong, maybe on a personal level, each of us were being called to deeper transformation. So God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry Maybe the questions we can be asking ourselves are things like, is it right for me to hold this bias? Is it right for me to think I'm always right? Is it right for me to feel entitled to the privilege and the power that I hold? Is it right for me to think there's only one way of following Jesus? You can fill in the blank. What new angle do you need to see yourself from? Where do you need to keep shifting that knob on the kaleidoscope to see yourself anew? When we can be honest about ourselves and see ourselves from a new angle, we can begin to see our enemies more clearly too. Nineveh represented all that felt evil to Jonah, the worst kind of people, the people that were farthest from the will of God. But we don't don't have those people in our lives, right? I wish that were true, but when we think about it, we all have those people we keep at arm's length because of past wounds, or lack of understanding, or real honest trauma. This could be a coworker who snipes at you in ways you don't understand, or that person with weird religious beliefs that you just think are wrong, or a relative or Facebook nemesis who's on the opposite side of the political spectrum, or people that do hold power over you or have oppressed you in some way. I'm not here to say you shouldn't have enemies. If we look to places like the Psalms, we see characters praying to God about God's dealing with their enemies. But when we look to the final words in Jonah, God offers a new angle for Jonah to consider about his enemies. It's God's grace, it seems, that Jonah can't quite get his heart around. God showed grace to Jonah, even as he ran from God. And instead of seeing that grace as an invitation to look at his own life, he sort of let his rage run rampant in his soul, and it was causing him to dehumanize his enemies. We might instead see that by God's grace, we can even begin to see our enemies as more human and in light of their that they are created and loved by God. God said, Should I not pity Nineveh? Should God not give grace and extend mercy to those who He created and loves and made in His image? That's how we need to see our enemies as co-image bearers, every person created and beloved by God, even when I don't want to believe that this is true. Now, I would really love to talk more about loving our enemies because that is a command we're given in Scripture. But I think this story actually just talks about the work we need to even begin to do to see our enemies in light of God's love and concern. This is a really hard concept to live out. This last fall in my own life, there was a man, I'll call him Tim. He started attending Central, the church that I work at. And now Tim represented a posture to me of everything that sort of felt um, like I was against. He was rude, he was pretty crass, he spoke in pretty offensive language, he triggered me on social media, and he represented all the extreme forms of some beliefs. He He represented the type of enemy to me that I was not interested in changing my mind about. And then one day in church, He came up to me. He was wearing a T-shirt that had sort of a trendy saying, but it was really offensive and derogatory and not what I would consider Christ-like towards a public figure. So he came up to me and he said, I need to talk to a pastor. And it took everything in me not to run the opposite direction. But when we sat down and talked... He just, he shared, and then he shared more, and he shared more, and he began to share more, and then it felt like the facade that he carried just was stripped away, and I was face-to-face with a real, wounded human being who has seen more pain in his life than I can possibly imagine. And then at the end, he asked me if I would pray for him, kind of took me aback at first, But then I I noticed maybe God was inviting me, challenging me to see Tim as somebody I had seen as an enemy, as a real, wounded, worthy of love human being. I had made Tim to be less than human in my mind, unworthy of my understanding, empathy, and even my prayers. It wasn't until I could sit down with Tim and see him face to face that I, got to, that I had to believe and see Tim as worthy and created by God and worthy of my own love too. God created even our worst enemy in his image, designed and worthy of grace. Jonah couldn't get to a place to see his enemies as more than anything but his enemies. But I wonder if we might try. Pastor, writer, and racial justice advocate, Oshida Moore said, when love enters the equation, everything changes. We begin to ask ourselves what we're for instead of what we're against. We stop seeing other people as enemies. We let empathy tenderize our hearts. One way we can begin to start shifting our kaleidoscope towards love and empathy towards our enemies is through prayer. Jonah prayed to God about his enemies. But what do you think would have changed if he was able to pray to God for his enemies, for their repentance, for their salvation, for their flourishing? Maybe you can't fathom right now being in a place where you can even begin to pray for your enemies. That's fair. If I'm being honest, I don't really want to do it. It feels kind of impossible at times. But what if the work of the people of God has always been to reconsider how God will work, sustain, and make a new way in the places in our lives that feel impossible? Maybe you remember the passage I shared at the beginning from Isaiah that said, behold, I am doing a new thing Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. When God reminded the Israelites that he was doing a new thing, Israel was in the middle of exile, a wasteland, barren, impossible place. So Isaiah reminds God's people that it's in these terribly challenging, tense, barren, impossible moments of our lives where God is working, sustaining, making a new way, and fulfilling his promises. So in the wilderness, and in doing the things that feel really hard for us to do, like pray for our enemies, God says, I am doing a new thing. This is how I will deliver you. This is a part of following me. So when you hold up, the spiritual kaleidoscope to your life? Where do you need to see a new angle about God, yourself, or your enemies? Has God recently revealed something new to you about his character or mission in the world? Has that been popping up in unexpected places? Where are you being challenged to grow deeper in your understanding of God? Or maybe you're in a season of life where you're seeing yourself anew. How might that new angle on yourself cause you to relate to the world and to others differently? And finally, maybe you're in a place in your life where you're ready to let go of some hurt and anger. Maybe you need to release some things you've been holding on to about the enemies in your life. How might a new perspective start the process of healing for you? What will it take for you to see the new thing that God has done and that God is doing in your life? Let's pray. God, thank you for being compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, ready to relent from punishing and full of mercy. Help us to see you with new eyes. Help us to see ourselves with the grace and mercy you've shown us. And help us to see what in us needs transformation. We can think of people that come to mind when we consider our enemies and we pray for them now. God, will you show them your goodness and your mercy and your grace. Help us to see them with your eyes and forgive us when we can't. Amen.